Hello and welcome to session six in this series of Raising Leaders for the 2020s. We're in chapter five in our vision handbook and we are in chapter eight of People with a Passion. It's all there for you. It's not really that confusing. Now, there are a number of things to bear in mind. I am speaking to you from the Vision Handbook in this whole program of Raising Leaders, presenting inspirational, visionary aspects of the cell strategy to inspire you and to encourage you. But don't just listen to these messages, participate in the discussions and the things that are provoked, uh, pr prompted in the book, but also start to do them, do the things that you are hearing. It's not just about listening to a couple of inspiring messages. Now, we have also uh, the other uh, booklet which helps your trainer or your mentor uh, sign you off on certain core competencies of cell leadership and they will be taking you through that. And then we have the Open Cell Leadership Development Handbook where there are where there's more information than what we're giving to you in any other source. So by now, if you have been following through, you should have read the seven chapters, the first seven chapters in part one of People with a Passion. And, but it's so important that when whatever else we're taking on, whatever else we're learning and whatever else we're doing is to understand what is the heart of cell church. That's my topic today. What is the heart of cell church? You know, there's a world of difference of a church that has small group, between a church that has small groups and a cell church, a cell-based church. You know, all over the world, I hardly hear anybody disagree that if we're going to be active in leading people to Christ and discipling them in the faith, we have to have some kind of small group program in the church. But that's not what cell church is. Cell church is not having small groups as part of the program. Actually, cell church means that cells are the program. Cell groups are the program. Now, some churches like to describe their small groups in different ways. We, we've still stuck with the idea of a cell group, even though that has some connotations. It's supposed to be a, a reference to biology and, and so on. And it doesn't really matter what you call them, but what we must understand is what is a cell and what is the role of a cell group in a cell church. Cells are not just one part of the program of the church, rather they are the fundamental expression of church. It's the fundamental means by which we do everything together that we are called to do as a church. We had to learn this in Kensington Temple many years ago. And it was quite embarrassing that uh, to be told that in many ways we were a radical church and we were not traditional in many, many ways. But with respect to the ministry and to the understanding of small groups, we were a traditional church. We had a traditional understanding of, uh, of uh, the cell ministry, a traditional understanding of small groups. 
Now, I'd been looking for the means by which we could not only express ourselves in large celebrations, not just within Kensington Temple building, but within the larger auditoria that are available in London. But I always knew that the cell ministry was missing something. We didn't really understand. It never really took off until we were exposed with the vision uh, the cell vision of Bogota, and of course there are other Ralph Neighbors 5x5 model, there are different models, but it was particularly the uh, vision of 12 that gripped my heart and imagination. And we had to understand that the cells were not just groups for fellowship, groups for prayer, groups for Bible study, groups for social activity, or even groups for evangelism. There were all these things together and more. And so in the cells, we evangelize, we nurture, we train, we mobilize, we pray, we do spiritual warfare. Now, as I said, uh, the model of cells or the idea is really borrowed from biology. Now, I don't know whether biology inspires you or not. I mean, for example, did you know that in your body there are around 30 trillion cells, 30 trillion cells, and each one of these cells is a building block for life. The life of the body is in the, the cells. That's where it all operates. The cells, each one of the cells has the DNA, carries the DNA of the whole, and that's why we use the description cell when we describe cell church. What we're saying is the small groups where people are gathered together in in connected relationships, there, that's the life of the body. That's where the body can function. That's the smallest unit of the expression of church, just as in the human body. Now, even in the human body, cells are subdivided into different categories, and there's a bit of teaching on this coming up. And, and uh, But really, uh, when we think about this, it's one of the points of contact. What is the fundamental unit of church? I think that's the two or three gathered together. If you've got two or three gathered together, Jesus in the midst, and cell groups, are, perhaps we can think of them slightly bigger than the two or three, but two or three gathered together, uh, that is the fundamental unit of church. But the fundamental expression of church is when we gather together in small groups and begin to function, do everything that church does. We can do that to together as uh, members of a small group. So this is the heart of cell church. We are not a church with cells. We are a cell church, a church that expresses its life, its growth, its ministry, its mission, primarily, primarily through the cells. Although the bigger gatherings in congregations and celebrations they are also important. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read to you some verses. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. This, of course, is the day of Pentecost. And we know that as the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 and Peter preached, 3,000 were added to that number, 3,000 people. There was a tremendous, tremendous outpouring of the Spirit. And so this shows us that the Holy Spirit coming to our lives is got to produce fruit and multitudes should surely follow and soon follow every time the Spirit of God falls upon us as churches. Let's read it. 
early church, Jerusalem church, what happened after those believers responded to Paul's message. We know that they were baptized uh, that very same day, 3,000 of them, and therefore they were added to their number, meaning they were not just a collection of believers, but they were joined together, added, they were joined together to the body of Christ there in Jerusalem. Now we know ultimately those many of those believers would have been in Jerusalem for the Feast of, of Pentecost, and then they would have gone back to their hometowns and places right across the Jewish diaspora and there they would have preached the gospel and started Christian communities but they were all learning and being consolidated in Jerusalem before they were sent back and so really this is the fourfold steps of the cell vision win consolidate disciple and send and I don't know how long it took it wasn't that long before they were sent back equipped to pre preach the gospel back to their hometowns right across the then known world. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So this tells us that all those believers who came to Christ in that very early proclamation of the gospel, they all continued in the faith and they did it steadfastly. They were devoted to it. So here is what we're talking about, discipleship or consolidation, not just saying, yes, I see that hand, God bless you. You've accepted Jesus, next, I see that hand, God bless you. No, it's about working together as a community, 3,000 of them, right? added to the 120, 3,120. How is it that they all devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer? How did it happen? Now, for this, we just need to take a step back. What would you do if you'd spent three, three and a half years with Jesus watching how he ministered to people? First of all, he would be ministering to the crowds, multitudes would come, and these were maybe some big meetings, maybe through miracles that were taking place, and Jesus would teach daily in the temple courts while uh, he was in Jerusalem. And then afterwards, he'd sit down with his disciples with closer fellowship, and here we're talking primarily about the 12, uh, talking with them, all right, sharing with them and preparing them to go and do what he's doing. What do you think those people who had been with Jesus for three and a half years did just weeks after his death, resurrection, and just days after his ascension? What would they do? They would do exactly what Jesus did. They would go to the multitudes and do whatever preaching they could out in the open to crowds of people, but then they would gather together, disciple those new believers, and do so in small groups. They couldn't do that 3,000, let's have a, a 3,000 meeting uh, uh, where we can all share together about, the, about discipleship. Yes, public preaching took place in the temple courts, but it says they met house to house. Let's read on. Everyone was filled, this is verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
All the believers were together had, and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they con continued to meet together in the temple courts. That was, it was a Jewish church. They'd be going to the temple for the usual Jewish reasons at that time, but they would stay around just as Jesus did in the temple courts in Solomon's portico, Solomon's colonnade, where Jesus taught publicly in the temple. We read that in the Gospels. They would meet there every day, every day. So they would be teaching and preaching to the crowds. And then it says, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Then they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All the principles of cell church are here. The larger gatherings, public, the smaller gatherings in homes, and it says they broke bread. It's most natural uh, that they would be breaking bread and remembering Jesus in communion, uh, although this doesn't specify that that was what they were doing. Breaking bread is table fellowship. And in that place of table fellowship, conversations, spiritual conversations would grow. Spiritual uh, connections would develop. And that's how the early believers in Jerusalem were discipled in the homes, in the small groups, one-on-one. -on -one. That's where they would see the modeling of father and mother. That's when they would see godliness and uh, have their questions answered and see godliness demonstrated. That's where they'd be trained and equipped. Just as Jesus had done with the 12, so now these new believers were experiencing the same thing, not just from the 12 apostles, but the, the ones that the apostles were training. They were just following the methodology of Jesus. Jesus. And it is so simple and so straightforward that I cannot understand why we in the 21st century cannot return to the same principles of the first century Christian church. When we were experiencing the time of the lockdown, and in fact, these are being recorded during the time of the lockdown. We recall on Easter Sunday, 2020, when the Archbishop of Canterbury was conducting the Easter communion service, which is normally done in Canterbury or some other great cathedral. And there he is conducting the Easter communion service from his kitchen table. And journalists were saying, what, what's going to happen to Christians? They can't celebrate because of lockdown. They can't go to the churches and, and go to, to gather together. And the Archbishop of Canterbury said, you know, we thank God for our fine buildings, but they are not necessary. Not necessary. And think of the huge, grand, historic cathedrals and places of worship in the Anglican tradition in our nation and also think of the great halls and the great arenas and the great places, theatres and grand churches uh, that can seat multi-thousands in the Western world and across the nations of the world. If we never had that, we could still explode because the real work of the church is not done just in the big crowded meetings, but it's done by the groups of two and three meeting together in groups of cells and 12. And this is where the work of the church happens. And so as a cell leader, you have a responsibility to lead the people into everything that God has for you. And you are the pastors, you are the evangelists, you are the prophets, you are the apostles, you are those who stand strong in the faith 
and share the blessing with others. Now, these were not just house groups or house meetings. These were cell groups. And so what is a cell group? Many, many ways of defining this. Now a book which is a little dated perhaps, but still contains valuable information. David Thinnell in his book, Life in His Body, defines cells as the organizing of the body of believers in small groups for the purpose of worshiping, experiencing God, ministering to one another, and ministering to and evangelizing the community. In short, cells do everything that church does only in miniature. Very, very important. One of the points of discussion is for you to go through Acts 2, verses 42 and 47, particularly Acts 2, but all of those verses, Acts uh, verse 42, but all of them really, and look at the main things, the elements of the activities of uh, the early church there. How do they pattern themselves? What did they do? And you have to ask yourself, is your open cell doing all of these things? Are you breaking bread? Are you having fellowship? Are you teaching? And it's not just uh, communicating information, it's discipling people into the teaching of Jesus. All of these things and the church, it says daily the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. It is all uh, about doing so in the, the light of evangelism. And so make sure that your open cell, the one that you're in now or the one that you will open, will do all of those things. Now I believe that this uh, visionary message today is at the very heart of what it means to be a cell church. Not just a church with small groups, but a church that is organized and in a, in a way that is structured into cell groups, small groups. And in those cell groups, small groups, the whole work of the church, the whole job description of the church is happening in miniature. That's not all there is to church. <laughs> we are not just a collection of cells. Now, you know, if, it's, if that statistic was accurate, 30 trillion cells in this body called Colin Dye, you don't see 30 trillion cells, I hope. I hope you see me, the whole body. Now, the assembling together of the whole body is vitally important. But without the cells functioning healthily and well, there can be no life. The body cannot function. That's why I'm passionate about Cell Church, and I pray that you will also be passionate about Cell Church. In summary, it is this. A cell church structures itself in such a way that every member in that church, in that body, in that community can both be discipled and also learn to be a discipler of others according to the call of Jesus in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Well, God bless you. We're going to come back soon for the next session. In the meantime, put this into practice. Think about these things and see what changes need to come in your thinking as you are renewed in the mind from traditional church to cell church. God bless you.